have a seat. It is truly wonderful to be with you. My name is Mike, one of the pastors on the team. I have so much joy to be here celebrating Easter Sunday with you. Just a quick heads up, it's about so much more than bunnies. Although I, I do want you to know, I've I read an interesting joke this week. I took it a little personally. What are 50 bunnies in a row all walking backwards called? A receding hairline. <laughs> I resemble that remark just a little bit. Can we all agree that there's a little bit of confusion about the person of Jesus? A teacher asked her class, can anyone tell me what the meaning of Easter is? And a young boy named Tommy raised his hand. She said, yes. He said, Easter is when Jesus died on the cross and his friends buried him. And then three days later, he came up out of the tomb. And the teacher said, well, can you tell me what that means? And he said, yes, if Jesus saw his shadow, that means six more weeks of winter. <laughs> so there's confusion. And, and the argument that we're trying to make today, not, not an argument, discussion, is that the, the place that Jesus fills is a place that only Jesus can fill. The role that he has is something completely, utterly, and absolutely unique. And I'm not just talking about Guinness Book of World Records unique. I'm not talking about that book that's filled with strange and amazing and somewhat creepy world records like this guy right here with an extended eyebrow hair. Nothing says Happy Easter, by the way, than an 18-inch eyebrow hair. You're welcome. Okay. No, no, Jesus is not just one of many. It's not one of many religious teachers, not just one of many uh, leaders, uh, spiritual leaders, not just one of many revolutionaries. No, no, Jesus fulfills a role that is absolutely unique. And, and Easter, by the way, is it's also referred to as Resurrection Sunday. Only Jesus resurrected from the grave. And today we celebrate with literally billions of other believers all around the globe, including our partners in Thailand, in Africa, in India, in Europe, in the Holy Land. And, and billions of believers gather to recognize, to worship, to adore, and to celebrate the one who is like no other. And there's a reason for this. It's because only Jesus has removed the burden of our sin from us. Only Jesus has taken that from us and nailed it to the cross of Calvary. Only Jesus rose again from the grave. And only Jesus offers eternal life, full life, abundant life, and eternal life. In fact, Jesus is the very definition of only. Only means alone in a class or category existing with no others of the same kind. And that's Jesus. Only Jesus. And to unpack this just a little bit, I want to get into a singular verse in Scripture. It's in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. And we're going we're gonna to jump into it. I want to unpack the first half of the verse in the first part of the message, and then the second half of the verse in the second part of the message. Not that confusing, but we'll just jump in right now. Romans 6, 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. For the wages of sin is is death. If you're filling in the blanks, we'll just kind of unpack each one of these concepts. Wages is simply something you earn. Something you earn. You do something, so you get paid for what you do. And most of us learn this pretty early on in life. You do a chore, 
you get an allowance, you go to a job, you clock an hour's worth of work, you get an hour's worth of wage. I was thinking about my work history. The first place I ever worked was at a yogurt shop. I was the only male employee of an all-female staff. My second job was at a clothing store in the mall called The Limited. Once again, I was the only male employee at an entire female staff. Apparently, I like to work at the places where the odds would ever be in my favor. <laughs> I've worked in about 17 different locations, all vastly variety of, of responsibilities that were mine. But one thing that all of these jobs had in common was I got paid for them. I imagine that's true in your work history as well. That, in fact, you probably remember a time when you first started working at a new job, and you would calculate the hours that you worked and the wage that you would receive so that when you got your paycheck, you would know how much it was. And you got that first paycheck, and you opened it up, and it was vastly less than you had calculated it to be. <laughs> Because the government had taken just a little bit. Now, you know what that's like, but the verse doesn't really talk about that, okay? But that's what a wage is. A wage is not viewed as a reward. It's not a gift. It's simply what you're owed. It's the agreed-upon reality of a worker receiving his paycheck. I did this, so I receive this. You know, nobody writes a thank you note for a wage received. Another translation in the Bible says, you get what's coming to you. It's what you deserve. Now, sometimes you don't get what you deserve. The Seattle Seahawks deserve to go to the Super Bowl every year because they're God's favorite team. <laughs> My buddy, Pastor Gary, has, tells a story of one time not getting what was deserved. He had received an invitation to go lead a conference out of state. And so he paid for the airfare on his own dime. He goes, he leads this multiple-day conference, does a great job, brings his expertise and skill. And at the end of the conference, they say, hold on, we have to pay you. And they brought out a potted plant for him. Now, the, the kicker was it didn't even fit in the overhead compartment at, in the airplane. So he had to pay to check that plant to go home. And ironically enough, it did not grow into a money tree. So we know what it feels like to not get what we deserve, to, to be worth more than our paycheck says. Now, there's one more synonym for wage. You might want to write this down somewhere in your notes. It's the word consequence. Consequence. It's the, the natural consequence of my behavior. That's what a wage is. And, and we could maybe all tell a story of growing up and, and, and being in our homes, and we received a consequence. Maybe we were disobedient. Maybe we made a mess. We did something wrong. And, and our, maybe our mom said, you need to go to your room. You wait till your father gets home. Or you go to your room. You wait till your mother gets home. Some of your moms are way scarier than your dads. But this idea of having to wait for the consequence of something that I did wrong, it, it's not very fun. And if you were ever in that scenario, you would have thought to yourself, you know what, I, I would rather skip out on the wage that I'm owed in this instance. Right? That's wage. It's something that we deserve. Now, the wages of, the Bible says, sin. The wages of sin. Sin is simply missing the mark. Missing the mark. And you might want to think about maybe playing a game of darts. And you think about that bullseye. And if you hit the exact dead center, 
that's perfection. That, that, that's the highest score that you can get. That, that's beautiful. You've done well. But anything that misses that mark is somehow off the mark. You've, you've now, you've, 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 uh, it's, it's been waylaid. And, and honestly, to be totally frank with you, when I play darts, I'm just happy to hit the board and not the spectators, right? But the, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that all of us miss the mark. All, not a single one of us has hit dead bullseye perfection nonstop. In fact, the Bible says this in Romans 3, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. You might just want to circle everyone, that this is the boat that we are all in. We have all fallen short of God's glorious standard. We've all missed the mark. Lately at the gym, I've been watching videos on the treadmill. These videos are called People Are Awesome, and they're filmed with GoPro cameras, and typically they're extreme athletes, they're adrenaline junkies, uh, parkour gymnasts, and they're doing all kinds of inc incredible things, and, and they just edit all of this amazing glory together, and it just gets your heart pumping, you're ready to go forever. Now, what's interesting is what they edit out. You see, they edit out the parkour guy who jumps off the wall and lands on his face. They edit out the snowboarder who falls off a cliff and breaks his leg. They edit out the, the dirt bike rider whose who's landing goes horribly wrong, right? And they take all of that stuff out and they put it in its own video called Epic Fails. And it's just painful to watch. But my boys and I watch it anyway. So... But you know what I'm saying in life. In life, sometimes you land the jump. Sometimes you pull it off perfectly. Sometimes you really are selfless and you really are genuinely caring and authentic and loving and grace-filled. Sometimes that's true for you. But there are other times when we don't stick the landing. There are other times when we are actually incredibly selfish or rude or prideful. And I'm not arguing that we are only sinful, that we go around being jerks to everybody all the time, but I would argue that in every area of life, we've missed the mark in what we say and what we think and what we spend and how we're me first in so many parts of our relationships and how we steward our sexuality and the limits of our patience and how we voice our disagreements about politics on Facebook. And the, the list goes on and on and on that... We miss the mark, and the Bible calls that sin. So the wages, what I've earned, of sin missing the mark is death. It's death. And death is the opposite of life. Death is the end. It's game over. It's destruction. And, of course, we know this intellectually. We know that the mortality rate here on earth is 100%. It's not like... Eight out of 10 people who are born will eventually die. No, no, we know it's 10 out of 10. Nobody here gets out alive. Aren't you glad you came to church today to be reminded of death? We all die. And that's, that's true of bunnies as well, by the way, just so you know. Now, Romans chapter 6 it talks, <laughs> come back to me, come on. <laughs> Romans 6 talks about death in, in a context of even more than simply ceasing of one's heartbeat. 
It's the actual opposite of light and love. Death is darkness and isolation. And there's this other quality too, this idea of being separated from God and separated from all of the good things that emanate from God's being. And this separation of all the good things that come from God's being is eternal, right? And and that's a, a quantity word as well as a quality word. In other words, it's overwhelming and all-encompassing darkness and isolation. Look, I, I know that this is a bummer of a concept. Death is a total drag. If the verse ended right here, we would all be crying in our chocolate eggs today, right? The wages, what I'm owed, of sin, of my missing the mark, of my wandering my own way, is death, nothing good. What I'm owed, what I deserve because of my sinful choices is not good. And this is spiritual justice. I've had chance after chance after chance, and I've still chosen my own path. I've still wandered my own way, and the result is that I'm owed separation from God. Now, this verse is just reporting the news, and thus far, the news isn't good. The result, by the way, of this reality, it creates a lingering fear and anxiety. Kierkegaard calls this a sickness unto death. There's so much denial of death going on both consciously and subconsciously, so much money spent towards immortality, and all sorts of compulsive behaviors orchestrated around this. In reality, it's a a form of slavery. It's a slavery to fear. Ernest Becker wrote a book several years ago called The Denial of Death. And in it, he argues that so much human behavior and so much of American culture is driven by this fact that we are petrified of death. And how this might look, you might recognize this, that we're sad. And so we're lasering off hair from some parts of our bodies and getting it woven in to other parts, right? We're injecting stuff in some places and removing stuff from other places. And we're working out and we're eating right and we're earning more and we're spending more and we're playing more. And I'm not saying that this is all bad, but I'm looking at what is driving so much of our entertainment and our hobbies and our eating and drinking and spending and comparing ourselves to one another and it's... We're afraid. We're enslaved to fear. Some of us don't even want to think about the spiritual condition of our lives. Some of us don't even want to think about God because we've got this sense that all is not right. We know that we're not as wonderful as we wish that we were, and we fail to live up to our own standards, let alone God's standards. And we know that it's all going to come to an end at some point, that we're going to have to give an account, and we're afraid that when that day comes, that we'll be shown to be short on our account. And we're afraid. About a week and a half ago, you might remember, there was a windstorm that blew through town. And uh, our house, where we live, we lost power for about a day. But our next-door neighbor, they lost three trees that came down, one of which actually fell across our yard and came with a couple of feet of coming through our front door. Now, the interesting thing about this is the trees, as you looked at them, they looked healthy, they looked strong, they looked vibrant. But the tree guy, as he came around to take care of the problem, said, oh, look right here, each of these has root rot. 
They have root rods. So even though they look strong and they stood tall, even as they were standing, they were actually dying. Those trees died. No outcry over dead trees. Not like that bunny a couple minutes ago, huh? I guess we're all hypocrites somewhere. <laughs> the point that I'm trying to make is simply this. That it is a form of a parable as to what we're talking about this morning. You see, the consequence of root rot is firewood. And for us, the consequence, the wage of our sin is death. That's the first half of the verse. I am so glad that there's a second half. I am so thankful that that is not the end of the story, that that does not represent the full heart of God. No, friends, there is a second half, and it's why we celebrate today. So let's get into the second half. Romans 6.23 says, But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's get into it. The gift, that is unexpected good stuff. Unexpected good stuff. A gift isn't given because you've earned it. It's not a salary or a paycheck or a wage of any kind. It's generosity. It's unexpected. It's delightful. It's wonderful. Have you ever received a gift that was so good, so unlooked for, it was so lavishly generous that you, you, it was like this insanely joyful moment when you said, I'm not worthy of this gift. Is this really for me? Can I really enjoy this? It's how my kids feel when they wake up and discover it's a snow day, right? They lose their minds, okay? Have you ever had a, a gift given like that? My buddy Dom, on his honeymoon, which was already the celebratory experience, he won $800 unexpectedly. My buddy Pat was given a free car. My buddy Lee was given two free U2 concert tickets. That's a nice gift right there. Now, I just have to say, it's unexpected, and it's good stuff that is given. That is a gift. Many of you probably saw the Downton Abbey season finale, well, the, the whole series finale. And uh, spoiler alert here, and I do have to apologize. You, you're going to have to listen to it if you haven't seen it, mostly because I have the microphone and you don't. So, <laughs> But there is a storyline running through Downton Abbey about Lady Edith. Lady Edith is the sad, forgotten middle sister Nothing good seems to happen to Lady Edith. She has trial after struggle the entire series. And the only person that, that, that is interested in Lady Edith is this lowly land agent far beneath her station. But then it turns out that this lowly land agent receives an inheritance from a deceased next of kin. And so he receives a title and he receives Brancaster Castle, and he sweeps Edith off her feet, and they get married, and he takes her to live in this beautiful castle, which is a wonderful thing, because now she could finally move out of that cramped, crowded hovel that she'd been living in <laughs> for so long. Right, it's a wonderful thing, it's a gift, it's beautiful, it's expansive, way better than a wage that we earn. 
way better than what we deserve. Unexpected good stuff, that's a gift. But the gift of God, and God, friends, is the one who gives. God is the one who gives. In fact, the Bible tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave. That he gave. In fact, James chapter 1 tells us that every good and perfect gift that we have is a gift from our heavenly Father. Everything in your entire life that is good or perfect or wonderful or delightful, every relationship, every moment of laughter, every experience of love, all of these are gifts from our heavenly Father. And let me tell you what motivates his giving. It's his character. And God's character is love. The Bible tells us that God is love. That he is, he is the embodiment of love. And it's out of this overflowing love that he gives. Lavish, blessings, grace. That he, It's delightful for him to give to his children. No, no, the gift, right? But the gift that is given, the gift of God is eternal life. And as we define eternal life, you have to realize that it's both quantity and quality. Quantity and quality. Let's talk about quantity for a moment. That's length of time, eternal. It's just on and on. Uh, life and life and life again. Now, many of you know that at Overlake, we have a, a rather long building. That most of you have walked all the way through it. Uh, to get here. In fact, you probably noticed as you drove in the parking lot, we have a rather long parking lot. One of the things that we actually kind of affectionately call it on staff is that the distance from where you parked to where you are seated right now, we, we affectionately call that the Overlake 5K. <laughs> so congratulations, you're all heart healthy this morning. And, and, and you want to picture for me that length from here all the way through the building, through the parking lot to Willows Road, that represents eternity. Now, I want to show you a millimeter. Millimeter looks about like that, pretty small. That represents the entire scope of your life here on planet Earth, one millimeter. If you took one step, that would represent all of human history on planet Earth. Eternity is a long, long time. And of course, if you know anything about eternity, you know it never ends. So you go all the way to Willows Road, and then you have to keep going all the way into downtown Seattle, and then all the way to Honolulu, and then all the way to Australia, and then all the way to Saturn. <laughs> eternity is a long time, and it keeps going. And your life, I'm saying, it's a, it's a millimeter. It's a breath. It's a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. Right? So eternal life refers to quantity, but it also refers to quality. It's not just this quantity, but it's a quality of richness and joy. It's a quality of vitality, relationships of love in the presence of the God of love who wipes away every tear, excuse me, who removes all of death and sorrow and sadness and pain, who heals all harms, who rights all wrongs, who restores all things broken, with whom justice reigns forever and ever. Amen. That is eternal life, abundant life. And it's not earned. It's a gift that is given. And it's given by God, the God who loves and it's given through 
Jesus Christ. That's the next fill-in. Through Jesus Christ, the only way this gift is given. Only Jesus. Only the person and the position of Jesus offers this gift of eternal life because his position, his person, is totally unique, 100%. In fact, I want to read you this passage of Scripture from Colossians chapter 1. It's referring to Jesus. And look at how unique the position of Jesus is. It says, he is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. You might want to circle that phrase. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. You see, what this passage says is that Jesus makes a way where there is no way. That even though death is the thing that we have earned by our choices, Jesus is the one who reconciles us to our heavenly Father. No longer is our sin a barrier distancing us from God. No longer is our failure to live up to God's standards shamefully crushing us. But Jesus is the one who forgives us. Jesus is the one who graces us. In fact, not only does Jesus make a way, Jesus himself tells us that he is the way. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says these words, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Friends, he is the way for us to have restored rightness and peace with our heavenly Father. He is life for those of us who are owed death. That's all of us. And it's through him that we are called God's children. In fact, the Bible is really clear about this, that it's through Jesus that we are called sons of God. Daughters of God. Look what this verse says. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. To all who believe, to all who accept him, he gave the right to become children of God. Friends, God is the one who loves. God is the one who gives. Jesus is the one who comes. Jesus is the one who graces. We are the ones who believe. And we are the ones who receive. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And those last two words, our Lord. You see, this is how we receive his gift. This is how we step into the stream of his life. We declare him Lord. We profess that we believe in him, that we trust in his work, that we believe he is unique. Only Jesus, in him is the fullness of God. Only Jesus is the gift of eternal life offered. And so we declare him Lord. We declare him Lord when we say, Lord, I believe. We declare him Lord when we say, Lord, I will follow. And when we declare him Lord, we become children of God. When we declare him Lord, we are no longer slaves to that fear. We're no longer afraid of sin because he has forgiven it and he has cleansed us and he has made us right with God because of his grace. And when we declare him Lord, there's no longer a fear of death. Death simply becomes a doorway through which we walk in peace with our heavenly father. 
And when we declare him Lord, he makes a way where there is no way. When we declare him Lord, he becomes our Savior. Jesus can replace my fear with courage to do the things he calls me to do. Only Jesus could build our incredible family through adoption. Only Jesus can give me a complete life now and for eternity. Only Jesus has been consistent. He has been with me every day of my life and he's never left me. Only Jesus can save me from my addictions and mend my broken relationships. Only Jesus could love me when my world became broken and messy. Once he extended his grace, I held on for the right of my life. He never gave up on us, and he never will. Only Jesus brought hope to an unending illness and hardship in my life. Only Jesus could reconnect us after 23 years and blend our family of eight. Only Jesus can make the impossible possible. Only Jesus can ignore my flaws and see my true beauty. Only Jesus can promise eternal life. Only Jesus gives me pure joy. Only Jesus could help me see that I am worth something and that I could trust that he would always be with me. Only Jesus heals my self-doubt. Only Jesus helps me lead my family. Only Jesus can renew my strength. Only Jesus redeems all of my brokenness. 
Only Jesus could use my little brother's death to save my life. Only Jesus can give me a deep peace in the midst of a trial. Only Jesus can completely change a lifestyle. Only Jesus could put love in my heart for a perfect stranger and bring her halfway around the world so that I could rescue her from an abusive lifestyle. Only Jesus would love me enough to be nailed to the cross and die for every one of my sins. So we want to stand together and respond to that Jesus. Please be seated. No longer a slave to fear, I am a child of God. We declare him Lord, he becomes our savior, we become a son or a daughter of the one true king of God most high. And the thing that I would like to say about this adoption is that there is no force in the universe that can disrupt the adoption that God makes when he adopts you as his son or daughter. It's not like you're in one week and out the next. It's not like you're in one month and out the next. It's not like you get disqualified if you have a bad year or two. The truth is, if you believe that Jesus is who he said he was, if you declare him to be your Lord, then you are a son or daughter of God. You're a child of his for all of eternity. That's how powerful, that's how loving, that's how gracious, that's how good our God is. And friends, only Jesus offers this gift. Only Jesus takes our sin from us, 
Only Jesus graces us. Only Jesus lavishes us with his love again and again, blessing us again and again. It's only Jesus. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Many years ago, when I was a senior in college, on a beach in the middle of a rainy afternoon, I was crushed by my own sin. I, I, I was suffocating under the burden. My wandering had led me literally into a place of despair. It was so dark. And in the midst of that moment, I reached out to Jesus. And I, and I simply prayed a really simple prayer. I don't even remember the words, but it was short and, and just sincere. It was heartfelt. And I, I prayed, Jesus, if you're real, then I make you the Lord of my life. I have tanked this thing on my own. And so, Jesus, if, if you're really there, I'm asking you to save me. And in the midst of that moment, something changed profoundly. Spiritually speaking, I, I stopped being a slave to fear, and I became a child of God. Practically speaking, the entire trajectory of my life changed. Now, I don't want to give any false impressions. It's not like I was a total depraved sinner before that. Now I'm an angelic, you know, half-human as I never sin. Uh, that, that's not the reality. But the reality is this. I lived graceless, and now I'm covered by it. And I have a feeling that in a room this size, there are more than a few people who want to say yes to that kind of grace today. So I want to give you an opportunity. I want, I want to ask right now that you'd bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want to invite you to say yes to this gift that God gives through his son, Jesus Christ. And Lord Jesus, we know that you're here. We know that you're present. You promise wherever two or three are gathered that you're in our midst. We know you're in our midst. We know you care about our hearts. You know each and every one of us. You know everyone who's in this room, everyone who's in this church, you know everyone who's processing these realities online. And Jesus, you know all of the stuff. You know all the shame and all the guilt. You know all the duplicity. You know it all. And you love us perfectly. And it's because of your grace and it's because of your kindness. It's because you just pour your love out. You prove your love on a cross. It's because... You initiated this relationship that we say yes now to you. And Lord, I know that there are people here who want to say yes for the first time. My prayer is that you would whisper your kindness in their ear, that you'd wrap them in your arms of love right now, that you'd speak your courage to them and allow them to step across the line of faith today and simply say yes. Yes, Jesus, I, be I believe you. Yes, Jesus, I trust you. Yes, Jesus, I want to follow you the best I know how. Yes, Jesus, I declare that you are Lord. And Jesus, you tell us that when that happens, you become our Savior. You gift us with life, abundant and eternal. And you will never leave us or forsake us. 
Jesus, for this we are truly grateful. For this we celebrate and we cheer. For this we know that the heavens are celebrating at the new decisions and the new additions to your kingdom. And Jesus, we just want to thank you for all of these things. We pray it all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Mm-hmm.